Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Vlad and Mark. Uh, they both did a case study on Pavel Datsuk, talking about the learning, development, and becoming the magic man. So uh, welcome, gentlemen. I'll let you guys uh, introduce yourselves a little bit further here uh, for the listeners. Thanks, Greg. Um, I'm Vlad. Um, I'm currently based in Finland, but was born and raised in Russia. Moved to Finland uh, 10 years ago, played hockey studied uh, hockey coaching, coached, and uh, at, at the moment quite passionate about connecting academia and, and sports. So how, how can sports science help the coaches and, and the people that are working uh, in the field? And uh, yeah, uh, greetings from Finland and uh, Mark, over to you. Okay, hello, uh, my name is Marco Sullivan. I'm originally from Cork City in Ireland, but I've been living in Stockholm in Sweden for um, over 25 years. Um, at present, I am one of the heads of development today at KU Football. I specifically focus in the 8 to 12 age groups, but I do education, coach education, player education for across the club. Also, help, uh, I have set up the club's research and development department, which is the first... Um, I guess, research department in a soccer club in all of Scandinavia. Also doing, finishing off my doctorate, uh, my PhD at the moment, and I'm a published researcher, specifically in the area of how we can research sports organizations and clubs and in the area of learning design and pedagogy in mainly in invasion sports. All right. That sounds like a mouthful for some of our uh, less inclined to the research uh, studies, but no, I, I like this. I think we're gonna get into a lot of good areas. Um, but let's, let's start with uh, our hockey specifics. We'll, we'll go to Vlad for, first on this one. Um, just talking about the environment that was in Russia as Datsuk was growing up was heavily involved by Anatoly Tarasov, uh, the father of Russian hockey. Um, so in your thoughts, how did Tarasov set up the system to work and what were some of his big philosophies and big pillars? Well, I would say thinking about the youth sports, the, uh, Tarasov was a big believer that, that uh, we need to engage as many uh, young athletes as possible and, and keep them in the sport. So uh, he was quite a big fan of uh, pr promoting the sport within youth from all over uh, the country have been 
exposed to such tournament, which is called the Golden Puck, uh, where every yard team uh, from any city uh, of Soviet Union at the time were able to to compete against each other. And then, of course, the first there have been local competitions where the kids even from little cities like in uh, say. Uh, get getting exposure to the sport of ice hockey obviously climate helped in in the, in the winters in, in in russia and uh yeah the big prize was to uh was to come to moscow and 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 play play in the arena for the uh in front of the coaches in front of the other professional players that played in moscow but nevertheless let's uh, let's look at Coach Tarasov as a person in general at first, uh, as uh, he comes from a similar background as Mark, actually, that, that he's coming from, from football. Originally, he was a football coach, but uh, upon his graduation, when ice hockey started to um, develop in Russia, he was tasked to develop the national system because uh, Tarasov played both. He played football and ice hockey which was quite common at the time that biggest stars in football or soccer uh, they were uh, typically playing two sports Uh, in summer they would be in in football and in in winter they would be playing ice hockey so if you if you think about like that uh, how well developed their hockey IQ was so to say and or or and or game IQ just in general as the, both of the sports have uh, of course their own um, demands nevertheless uh, invasion game is an invasion game where, where the principles are more similar than different and so and uh, that became one of his key I would say characteristics as a coach that he was quite passionate about connecting his knowledge of uh, football and uh, with ice hockey and of course at the time uh, the one of the big sports was bandy or or which is played on a big ice surface similar to the football pitch so the athletes would be required to uh, skate uh, uh, significantly more kilometers per game than, than than they are in ice hockey nevertheless the canadian version of hockey so to say when he when it came it was uh, a good challenge as, as Tarasov mentioned to I- identify what are the key qualities that are needed but nevertheless uh, your your game understanding is something that is useful regardless of the sport that you play so therefore therefore um, you know he would he is known to connect not, not only football but also basketball uh, ballet, weightlifting, and and you know any a, each and every sport that would help an ice hockey player. I would say you know as a, a, as a, if we would think about Coach Tarasov and his key quality, I would say I, I would call it in in innovator and and a pioneer, bringing any possible resource that would help develop ice hockey players and or ice hockey teams. I think there was a, an interesting um, thing that we actually came across after we, we um, published the, the research paper on Pavel Tatsyuk. 
was at Tarasov in the late 40s, was work, working in, for a time in Hungarian football. And this is this great team that kind of emerged from the late 40s and the early 50s, a very innovative football team where they kept changing positions with each other, had very dynamic way of playing. It was basically the birth of, if you want to call it, total football. So I think that it was interesting that Tarasov was there. And I think he took a lot of these ideas with him into hockey. So you have this kind of more total hockey, a more dynamic way of playing hockey. Because from my understanding, it was up until the Tarasov managed to get his, um, <clears throat> what we call it, red machine going. And I don't like the word machine because that's so mechanistic. It's really a very much dynamic system, this, this uh, Russia, Russia, uh, the, the Soviet hockey team. They're very dynamic. They weren't me mechanistic. Uh, but he challenged a lot of the, the linear ways of playing that was very dominant in um, the USA and Canada at the time. They had very linear ways of playing. And I think it's really interesting, this transfer, it was kind of a cultural inheritance from uh, other sports and particularly from his time in Hungary, I think, especially as I am a student of football. I, have, I know a lot about the Hungarian teams in the 50s and they were quite dynamic and, and um, yeah, it was the birth of total football. So I think that's, that's mm. we found that after and we kind of regret we didn't beforehand. Yeah, and, and how did, for, for you, is it just the positions being very flexible that was the key component within the Hungarians, or was it some of the ways they trained? Because uh, obviously there's components of both of those, how you train to do that and the flexibility and what it allows you to do. So I'm curious to hear more about, was it just that or more than I mean, that? Football very much at the time, particularly was very much structured in this, you, this you're a defender, you're a midfielder, you're a back, whatever. And I think the Hungarians... And there's a famous game they played at Wembley, I think it's in the early 50s, and they beat England 7-3 or something at Wembley. And this is really a, a quite a shock for England because they've never come up against teams that actually constantly switch positions. So sometimes the centre-back would be going into midfield and the, the centre-forward is dropping into the centre-midfield and the wingers are coming inside. So... It's kind of, and they had this thing called the false nine, which Lionel Messi is known for. That was already in the Hungarian team in the, in the 50s. So, and they, they had this more dynamic, inventive approach. And I really think that's what Tarasov really took with him back to, to Russia. What wasn't as linear or structured or prescribed by the coach, you know, it was more yeah. providing opportunities for players to maybe express their skills a bit more and interchange positions. And yeah, I mean, it must have been a very exciting time, actually, when you think of it. It really did. I mean, being able to start something almost from scratch uh, with how he built up the Russian system must have been exciting. Um, and I had uh, Sean Skinner, who works over in Russia quite often on the podcast earlier. And he mentioned that uh, at one point, Tarasov, uh, being the man that researches as much as he possibly can, wanted to challenge that you needed ice time to improve your team. And he actually took a, two groups and one was able to practice and they did their own thing. And he took the other group and they did nothing but off ice. And then they only had like two weeks of on ice training. And then they played a game against each other. And what used to be a very even match by the end of it was all about the team that trained off the ice in all of these different ways uh, that really dominated with the play. 
Yeah, that's, in, that's interesting. I'd love to hear more about that. If there's any um, literature or anything available on that, that'd be really cool. I heard a similar story. Nevertheless, like uh, I, w- I would be also curious to hear more details about what kind of training was there. Was it was it just the athleticism development, or was it ball games to actually teach hockey? Yeah, we'll, we'll have to dig into that uh, another time. I don't have any of that off the top of my head, but uh, I just think it's a fascinating little story to. We should call Sean again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we should. Um, so, dovetailing that into Pavel. Let's, let's maybe start to open that up a little bit further. Maybe not all the way open quite yet, but maybe what would be a quick background of his hockey journey from picking up a stick to playing in the NHL? What did that look like for him? Um, Vlad, I, th- yeah. I think before, <clears throat> I think you, you're in a better position to answer this, but I think mm-hmm. before we answer, we, we need to make something kind of set a framework around this. And that is a, lo- a lot of what we're trying to speak about is that there's these ideas that skill is learned just is only influenced by what you do in practice and with a coach, but there's actually a whole social cultural context that influences how people move. There's a reason why Brazilians move on a football pitch a lot different than the Irish football players. And there's a, there's, they have the jing and the capoeira, the sway. So there's a whole cultural context. And that's what we were digging into here with Pavel, that there was some sort of cultural context that was influencing how he was learning to play hockey and I think Vlad can and it's just an important thing to frame here that it's it's not just about oh just because you do a certain amount of practice and do all these skills that you become a great hockey player there's 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 a lot of um let's say unseen influences from the culture that also influence how you learn Yes, and I, I would love to dive into that. I think we should start with uh, the story of Tarasov, the background, move on to Pavel's thing, and then dive into the different elements and how that was good learning. Uh, I don't want to give it away too early, but maybe good learning environments and cues that were given to him or unstructured that were given to him, uh, and we can have a full-on discussion on that. So uh, let's, let's, let's hold our horses ever so slightly, but I like how we framed this. For sure. But nevertheless, uh, I would say uh, if, if we would keep it brief that the Pavel started to play in his uh, hometown in uh, Yekaterinburg and, and he played uh, uh, in, in numerous uh, teams, including the, the yard team and, uh, and the one that was more related to the, to the sports school. And uh, his, his progression was more or less going, going from the uh, youth program, then going into the juniors and then uh, playing within the, within the men's, men's system in, uh, in his hometown. Then he went on to, to play to Kazan. And then uh, this is the time when, when he was drafted to, to Red Wings. And then I think from, from that, time, that time forward, everyone is quite aware what has been, what has been happening with, with Pavel, with the, with the Stanley Cups and the, uh, national team appearances and his uh, last few years in the KHL. Yep, absolutely. So he basically started small town and it's slowly aggregated up, but not too quickly um, on how that all came about. So 
Uh, I think this might be a good start for either of you, maybe Mark, um, just in the contextual background of the socioeconomic that he came from, because he did not come from a well-off family in Russia that could just give him as much training and private tutoring uh, as possible. Thank you speaking. Mark, sorry, I will will jump in with one crucial cultural detail. Back in the time, it it was uh, hard to be... uh, in a family that was that was pretty well off, nevertheless, uh, you know, back in the time, individual tutoring and and extra ice, I would say it was uh, it was not a, exactly the uh, the trend, so to say, did not even exist back in the day. And extra hour training was that that you would play after school with your friends on the on the backyard. Absolutely. I think uh, the you mentioned that the socioeconomic uh, factors that influ that had an influence. Of course, as we know at the time, um, it was a. Uh, I think the area Pavel come from it was what well, it was relatively scarce resources at the time. And Pavel says to us uh, he speaks a lot in the interview with us um, about the value he placed on equipment. That when you were given a new hockey stick that it was something you cherished and valued, that it was often a hand-me-down stick from a, an older player or a senior player in the club or wherever you played. So the thing is that if you broke your stick, you could be waiting a while maybe before you get a new one because of the scarce resources. And, and I think this Pavel's adaption to this was that he started um, adapting his way of playing to protect the puck and the stick, and he's to protect the stick and the puck as he says himself in the um, in the interview. So this very unorthodox way of playing ice hockey um, emerged be- under these socioeconomic constraints because of how he himself adapted to it. So we, we found this was a ve- this was a very um, interesting uh, theme that came out of this that that and, and again it kind of comes back to our main argument is that, is that skill emerges under specific constraints at different levels, out of the level of culture, but also at the level of practice, because his coaches were highly influenced by Tarasov. So the pedagogical way they worked with the in the training sessions on the ice was very much probably not breaking um, the players by telling them exactly what to do all the time, but giving them enough freedom to explore uh, their decision-making possibilities under different uh, game situations and the different dynamics. And I think they were two key things for me that, that stood out. So here we had a young guy learning, adapting his way of playing to protect his stick so it doesn't get broken because he's very clearly states that he never really did slap shots because it would put the stick at risk. So And then we had these coaches then that were really supportive of players giving them a lot of autonomy in the training to make their own decisions. So I think that there were two very um, uh, main points for me that I picked up. And what about you, Vlad? I, I would say like, you know, it's not just him that was, you know, uh, in that situation where where the equipment was scarce. It was quite, quite a lot of kids. Nevertheless, if we think about like the deeper meaning, so to say, that when, when you... Uh, 
when you connect to that uh, particular constraint in a different way that for some, it might have not have been an issue that, that I'm without a stake for, mm. for numerous months. It's, it's okay for me. So I could, I could play and I could uh, put it at the high danger zones when, when I could be slashed or someone could, could, could step on it. Nevertheless, for, for him as a person on the individual level, it was, it was quite important to, to keep it protected. So it might potentially also shed the light on his motivation to stay in the game, so to say that, that, Hey guys, I, I, I want to play the game and I need the equipment to do so both skates and a stick, you know, you know, so that's, that was, uh, you know, one of the, uh, one of the extensions of, of what we, what we wrote with Mark. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I also think then if you add in the, how, how he d- developed his, if we just speak about poverty, his, athletic skills will say all these made up games that they had on the ice and of course it was all different the the surface of the ice was constantly changing different times of the year they were cleaning the ice the or it was soft uh, snow on it so there was a lot of um environmental challenges as well there because the surfaces were different and then sometimes they were playing without skates they're playing in felt boots so it became a big challenge to uh to um to keep yourself balanced and and then they used to use they used to play football on the ice and then sometimes it, he would like playing against younger players with very uneven numbers as well. Mm. So it was like and I love that line he says we were just like kids uh, in Brazil. Uh, it was like jinga. He actually used that word in the interview himself jinga, which is this sway movement of playfulness associated with Brazil. And it's really funny that Pavel used that in the interview. We were just like kids. And then the question was that Mark. Uh, that that when 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 he was asked that with what kind of ball would you typically play, he answered that whichever one we had, basically exactly. you know, <laughs> like whatever whatever we had. Sometimes it was with the hole, sometimes it was wooden, sometimes it was uh, some old tennis ball. So it was you know, regardless of what the object was, let's keep the game going, so to say, and let's not break sticks as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's. As we're starting to, to dive into this a little bit further, there's a lot of environmental factors that played into how Pavel was thinking about playing the game. Um, and, and also for our listeners, I want to take a second. Uh, when we talk about pedagogy, we're talking about the art of teaching. Uh, Mark, did I get that proper? Yeah, I, I kind of it's teaching and learning. Yeah. Okay, good. I just want to make sure uh, everyone's on the same page here. So, um you have all of these environmental factors, social economic factors playing into it. Um, when you think about development through learning environments, which is kind of what we're getting at here, you know, what benefits were the Tarasov uh, system providing him uh, as he's trying to learn these things? I think Mark, touched on it a little bit earlier that the the creativity and the uh, ability of uh, you know play and uh, not exactly positionless hockey but more more or less you know the the ability to fill in for your friend if needed and and to find the creative solutions that may not be you know uh, normal so to say in the, in the, in the ice hockey terms and you know like every every uh, play by 
that took its well, not every play. The the, the majority of his plays are are quite uh, outstanding to say the least. So you know, you, when you're in the process of continuous search and continuous exploration of okay, how else I can I can fool my opponent to make sure that I either pass through him or I can I can score. So. I think it, it, it leaves a, a mark on, on you as a, as a player. And uh, I, I would say and another thing, what is crucial uh, when we think about the connection of the Tarasov's philosophy and uh, Pavel's development is the, is the multi-sport background of, mm-hmm. of his. And when he was asked that, what are the other sports that, uh, that you like to play? He said, any, any sport that, that involves you know, friends and and uh, and the ball, and typically, you know, he he likes team sports because you can involve more more people to play. Now, I think it's somewhat yeah, as well, isn't it? Because this multi-sport uh, providing opportunities for children to take part in mm-hmm. other sports as well, if they want, it's not forcing them, providing invitation exactly. to take part. And I think it was just, it was almost like he they were tuning into the culture, you know, in some way that it was like, you know, mm. and I, I, I think it's fascinating and that, that, it, that it was a line and even the way that Tarasov refers to a technique as art, you know, as well, he, he mentions, isn't it the word technique was, was, was art? He, he mentions this in his book. He, it's very artistic about how you do things. And, and in the way, art is not about doing something the right way. There is not one correct way to do art either. We must remember that. It's so many different forms of expression. Mm. Tarasov was quite a well-read person. So in, in, in his way, how he describes things, he, he definitely has a note of, uh, you know, artistic approach to things. Yeah. And, and this is where uh, what I told you that, that from, the, uh, he, from the ways how he expresses his vision of stick handling. He doesn't say the skill of stick handling. He says he, the art of stick handling, that he was good at the art of stick handling. When he describes, for example, Valery uh, Karlamov, when, when it comes to his style of play. Yeah, but I think an important point here then, when you speak about art, again, we're back to it's not everyone perform does art the exact same way. So the art exactly. of stick for me and the art of stick handling for you may not be the exact same way of handling a stick, but it's got to do with who our, our own, let's say, physical, individual constraints, height, weight, muscle, how we skate, etc. So the art mm-hmm. of actually holding, of stick handling, is probably so individualistic as well. And I've, I'm kind of getting this intuition about that's what Tarasov was really on about when he was speaking about this. For sure, for sure. Yeah, and... It was, and the reason why I feel like so many people love Pavel is how unique he was in his skill set. There are so many players that can play the game very similarly, but he does not play it the same as everyone else. He sees it very differently, uh, which is the exciting element. And uh, where where I kind of want to go with this is the idea of players that have success one way often like to go back to that same exact well and continue to do it that way. You know, how does a player? get creative, like free play. Maybe it's boredom. I tried this out, but it's, you know, at some point, a lot of these people, they like to win, win, win. And if you know, you have something that works for you, a lot of times you, 
I mean, everyone's had a player like this to do the exact same thing, whether it be driving wide or over relying on one asset. Meanwhile, you've got players like Pavel Datsuk who've got this creativity. They've got multiple ways to beat you. Like, where does that come up? Because I've seen guys released on a pond and they just go back to the same thing over and over. And it's not much development, um, even though it is free play. Vlad, any thoughts on that? Uh, well, my thinking uh, comes at that that you know when it when, when you're faced with a certain say like with the certain problem that you're trying to solve, there are certainly you know there is only um, you know x amount of ways how how you can solve it that would uh, you know that would be within your repertoire, but it doesn't mean that it would be the same repertoire for the mark. So therefore, if we if we think about uh, say like one of the uh, uh, skills that I would say that helped Pavel to be creative is is simply his playfulness that that he want to outplay an opponent and then he will look for any possible way how how to do it if if that's a one way that works then I'll be using that way the the moment when the door shuts on on for example on a cutback move. I can I can try something else on you and and uh, this is what we've mentioned that it comes from from within the player that just like the uh, meaning of of equipment so similarly I I believe within within uh, his uh, learning in development was that uh, that he, like we know that his friends were demanding from him that that he would pass to them instead of scoring on his own so that would that was, I would say, one of the uh, things that have been guiding his thinking that, hey, you know, in, in this situation, I can fake that, that I'm shooting to score. But now, hey, I, I'm going to give a pass with a backhand. Next time, I'm going to do something else if, if that's not going to be an option. So, uh, and thinking uh, that, you know, when, when you are uh, playing, uh, how he mentioned, with, with his friend against the team of uh, younger players, two versus twelve or uh, two versus fifteen, there is not so much time for for you to think about a certain solution that you would like to use. You just uh, basically uh, read and react to what the in environment offers to you. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think I think one of the the, the possibly the def when I, I've studied the videos there is that it was very hard. For opponents to read Pavel's intentions, hmm. I think because his skills were so unorthodox and he was so adaptable in passing, and you never knew what he was, how he was going to pass, from where he was going to pass, or when. So he was very good at, I guess, disguising his intentions in some way, and 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 also he was good at, as you said, like the kind of the he might intend to pass through a gap, but suddenly the door closes. He's so adaptable to then pass somewhere else quickly in that moment he's so attuned to the environment and I think some players then the issue is that they may be very young they succeed with one or two, one thing that's really good and works for them but then people get to understand what their intentions are and read their intentions uh, very well and so it ends up that the that what once worked for these players doesn't work anymore because it becomes mm. their intentions become too predictable and I think that that's all these um, games that Pavel played, the coaches he had that offered him the opportunities to uh, um, to exp 
rest themselves, their own decision making, the unorthodox um, stick handling style and puck management style, let's say, that emerged under social cultural constraints. It was kind of almost like a perfect storm. And within that storm, it was very hard to figure out his intentions. I can imagine what it must be like for maybe a hockey player that's come through a very linear player development system to meet him, probably looking at what is he doing? You know, yeah. probably they're probably so he, his intentions must be very, very hard to read. And and if we recall from the interview, Pavel is very analytical as a person yeah. that 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 in, in a way how he described that, you know, when they played, for example, in felt boots that uh, he knows from the get go that uh, my opponent cannot stop. So yeah. I, I would then use the in that particular game, I would be using and at times abusing the stop fakes and and or making the fakes going the other way. But then again, when I go back to playing uh, hockey with the skates on when someone can stop. So then I need to look for other ways how to do it. But nevertheless, the 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 cutback or or let someone slip by me is still an option. But yeah. but but now it has a bit more risk and and uh, let's face it that that uh, creativity typically comes to comes to us through struggle that that sometimes that move works sometimes it doesn't but the key thing is to keep keep on doing it keep on thinking what what things I need to read and 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 where is the angle that I could use to slip the puck through through the skates or the stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a key thing for me is everyone talks about the game being the teacher, but at the same point, not everyone, especially for some of the younger kids, are very good at being uh, self-diagnosing, uh, self-reflective in that analytic piece. And I think that is probably the key component to unlocking creativity is thinking through those things because some kids are not there yet or they're not aware of themselves. And I think when we talk about a guy like Pavel, like there's this self-reflection, there is a self-awareness in what you're doing and how that affects others. I think that's for me and uh, Mark, you're way more studied than I ever will be. Uh, Maybe maybe I'd love your opinion because you're, you're coming from it. Maybe not just a hockey perspective, but also all of these different sports on where does that fit into helping when we put these kids in these environments to actually push them forward and into that. I, I, I would, a lot of the work I'm doing, um, cause I'm a coach as well. So it's not just a researcher. So I'm actually researching what I'm doing. Um, I think it's about very much designing environments for young kids to, to search, discover and exploit opportunities to do stuff. So in how I would recommend when we work with kids, I just had a training session now, you know, we might have a session where we shine a light on passing, but we do not remove the opportunity to dribble. Because if you only pass, there's no opportunity to dribble, then there's no decision. So a lot of the sessions I would design, you just might slightly design it so that there's a lot of opportunities to pass, but that does not mean you're removing the opportunities to dribble. So we use this very simple framework and Vlad has, I know, used this in ice hockey as well. And, and I guess in football, it would be ball or an ice hockey puck. Opponent or opponents, direction mean we're going somewhere. Uh, consequence mean if we lose the ball or the puck, the opponents can score. 
and then the information is represented in the game. So a classic maybe, uh, actually funny, I was speaking with a nice hockey coach who just did exactly this, and he was showing me, and he said, yeah, we're, we're playing three against three and shoot all three players much touch the puck before you can score a goal. Why would you want to do that? That's not representative of the game. That's not representative information. All you have to do is just stand around one player. <laughs> you don't have to bother about the other two. So even though there is a puck opponent direction and there is a consequence because you can lose the ball, the opponents can do something, the information is not representative. So what I would suggest is that is that in training designs, make sure there's opportunities for kids to search, to discover and exploit opportunities for action and that the information they're working on is representative of information they have in the performance context. And you can exaggerate some of that information without removing something. We call it amplifying and dampening. Amplifying opportunities to pass without, damp without dampening the, the opportunities to um, dribble too much. So it's kind of this constant balancer going on. And you're right, the game is not the teacher. I don't think the game is the teacher. It's, it's far too complex than a game being a teacher. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's my biggest bone to pick right now uh, within the hockey community is, is how many times I hear, let the game be the teacher. I'm like, yes, it is a teacher in some shape and form, but it's not the only teacher. Like, there has to be cues in here. Maybe how the kids are playing the game can teach the coach what he needs to work with. Now you're now now you're cooking with uh, peanut oil, as my one friend says. I, I like where we're heading with this. <laughs> Vlad, uh, you want to take us home on, on this point? Well, well, there, there is the exactly what Mark has described, and in my coaching, and uh, that that definitely a framework that helps you to uh, identify the crucial things that you want to keep in mind when you design a training session. And and one thing that is in Finland quite common is is, is the logic of the game is passing to every uh, teammate is it is it you know is it part of the logic of the game well to an extent it's not so so then then we, we can we can leave it out and look for things when we uh, attempt to build a a small area game or for example or or a given drill look for things that are in line with the logic that that you don't need to you know over over constrain so to say our our uh, in environments that the athletes are then trapped in figuring out uh, the rules of the game uh, instead of actually, you know, focusing on, on, on uh, learning and developing. A great example of that um, that I like to use is every pass is an extra point, but you can still score at any time. So it's just adding up. So does it make sense in your risk reward rather than you have to pass? You could pass or you could just score right away, just depending on the risk reward, how you're going to go about that. I think that is an, an easy one uh, for beginners uh, or someone just getting down this path to start with. Mark's shaking his head over here like either it's really bad or really good. Well, that you, you get a point for every pass. What happens if the goalkeeper goes and buys a hot dog and it's open? Like, why would you? So, so sorry, sorry. It adds, it adds. So, like, if you score a goal, that's one point. But if you score a goal off a pass, that's two points. So each pass adds an extra point when you do score. So if you don't actually attack, you don't actually get any points. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so you get a point for every pass that leads to a goal. So if you do four passes and score, 
that would be five five points for the one team. How realistic is that? It's adding an incentive to look for the pass. So obviously it depends on where your team's at, but you can still score at any time and get your goal. I would so think say you got a breakaway. You're not looking behind. You're like, huh? Maybe I should pass. Yeah, but why would you want to score one goal when you can get four goals if you pass four times? But then that doesn't happen in the game. Then I think it's about exploiting. If if the opponent is open, leaves it open. You know, if I was playing that game against you, I'd let you score, <laughs> and then you get one point, and then me and Vlad would just keep passing each other and try and score. Well, there's the risk reward. So at what point yeah. does it make no sense? When should you finally attack? Because it's great if you get 60 passes in and then you try to score, you maybe the goalie stops you. Yeah, I, I know, I know, but I just I just wondering what would that achieve? Would it are, are players just attuning to information to just pass for the sake of passing to to um collect points, or are they not shooting to the space and the gaps that are opening up to 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 punish mistakes and con- and score, you see. So it's what where you educating players' attention to there. You're not educating to the immediate danger. Maybe you're just educating it to let's do a few passes and score. Exactly. So rather than being linear, focused always on the goal, goal, goal. I mean, th- this is something, especially with at the um, like ages where you start aggregating talent, where everyone's the best player, and no mm-hmm. one looks to play with each other. Well, yeah. you add that now they're starting to at least look whether or not they take that. Whole other story. Yeah. So it's, it's the idea of getting the look and the scan in. That's the big component that we're looking for. I think David Laszlo does it uh, pretty well uh, with uh, differently colored pucks that that we don't take a look, you know, at the, how many passes do I do I need to make to to score X amount of points. But for for example, if the green puck goes on, on onto the ice, players know that that is you know that it's. Uh, Plus two points or plus three points, and I believe the idea comes from the from the beloved NHL game that they that the kids nowadays play, and for for them to experience the excitement that hey, we are now doing in real life something what what we do with our uh, Xbox or PlayStation controllers. Or I I think that that certainly adds adds the adds the spice, so so to say. Yet at the same time, it doesn't doesn't compromise and. Uh, the the logic so so to say and it doesn't get us into into the discussion that that are we making 60 or 40 passes i guess mm. yeah the red puck is the ovechkin puck so capitals red ovechkin so you have to one time that one to, to score for sure lo, lo, for i sure. love love david laszlo and his colored pucks i, I know that uh mike benelli sells those here in the states that you can get a whole pack of all the different colors red orange green etc um it's a lot of fun. We're, so, we're in the wrong business, Vlad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Mark, you can't, Mark, you we can't should, find these should, colors here. Mark, we should we should make that soup stick that breaks. Yeah. <laughs> can't take a one-timer, otherwise it'll break on you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Um, so keeping up with this idea, and uh, now that we've gone completely off the rail, I want, I want to talk about um, – just leaving room for improvisation uh, and not over coaching. I feel like that's, that's an also an issue that you commonly see out there is coaches that want to control so much that it takes a lot of the creativity and decision-making out of the players. Um, and it's not like we're in society. And I know a lot of times here in the States where there is no free play realistically anymore. Like you're onto the next schedule, the next thing uh, consistently. So 
how do we as coaches or as parents continue to help players develop this Pavel Datsuk ability to improvise and read the environment quite well? I guess, I guess the, the playfulness that, that has been now mentioned in, in numerous, in numerous um, ways earlier, that, that is something that, that you should be after. Like for, for example, as a, as a parent or, or as a coach, finding the ways how to integrate uh, the, the games into the, into our daily, uh, daily uh, struggles, so to say. And, 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 you know, would that be, uh, for example, a few minutes at the, at the beginning or, or, or at the end, because obviously nowadays we're overly constrained, simply, simply put everyone expects her, uh, to, you know, execute systems at, at under, under, under 12. So, which is to an extent, the reality that would, that we need to battle with and it's and it's hard as as we all know it's very hard to to uh, uh get rid of it completely there are there are always coaches that, that want to play systems from the from the very young age but nevertheless if we if we think about like the pavel's uh, practice structure from what he um described to us when uh when he was in in his primary school it was that the first uh first 20 minutes it was uh the technical things like like they would they would do the uh, skating ex- exercises and or uh, stick handling things but nevertheless the the remaining time they would be playing and and the coaches would be actually interacting with them and how he says that the coaches would not uh, break the picture of the game that you had in your uh, that you had in your imagination. So, I guess this is where we come to the conversation. Then, if we if we chip in a few scientific terms in, in here, affordance recognition from uh, from 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 that perspective, that uh, as it's known to in, to an extent that it's not a natural process that you don't just not normally start to recognize things. So. This is where that comes the art of coaching that with uh, with the questions and or guiding uh, points that you need to help help your athletes uh, to what things they should be dedicating their attention to in order to be able to um, you know make a certain move or uh, why did why that fake didn't work have you have you thought about this well try it try that next time and or for example you know hey I, I really like this situation even though it didn't work try try this next time and and then you know through through that active engagement and and just passive that you know good shot good pass type of feedback <laughs> and you know like through through the uh, active but at the same time you know non-linear process this is this is where the magic of the magic men have been have been you know cooking so to say I think um, I've just published another paper this week, sort of in this area. That there's a lot of um, we have. To, there's a lot of traditional uh, approaches to designing practice that we really need to start challenging. We are still very much in this deterministic way of designing tasks where we will limit unpredictability as much as possible. So the coach will limit the unpredictability as much as possible by over-instructing, 
the young players, this is what you do, you pass to him and then to this person, then you take this movement or whatever. And this is very much, you could almost say it's quite tailoristic, if you know what I mean by that. That's like the old conveyor belt model and the start of industrial revolution where every every person was given a very individual task on the uh on the on the Ford construction car construction line and this is almost like this reductionist approach is almost how we have for many years been working with um uh, designing practice very reductionist and i think you need need to we need to really go away from this and this is the sort of the work i work in so a very simple example would be if if you're doing, let's say, oh, we're going to do a 3v2 here. Why would a 3v2 happen for two minutes? It would never happen for two minutes in the game, a 3v2. It would happen for about three seconds because some other defender would come back and make it a 3v3. So can you design a task where it's 3v2, but with a delayed defender coming back? So the two players have are working on a representative task, meaning... How can we delay what these three are doing to give us so our defender or our teammate can recover and make it 3v3? So that's what I'm thinking about, kind of more representative task designs. Um, also, we I think there is traditionally in um, coaching, it's very much control over context. The coach mm. is the person with the knowledge and and will will it emits their knowledge to you about the game, but that's that's it. And back into into the this, the science of this is that that's knowledge about. Just because I can I can tell you I can't even skate, but I can tell you stuff on ice hockey that maybe you should do. But that doesn't mean I can do it. So very much it's this. Just because some kid can, you can tell a kid what to do. You say you should be doing this, and or you say to a kid. What should you do here? Oh, I should pass here. That doesn't mean they can do it. It's knowledge in the game is what we work with. So this, there's a lot of um, challenges I think we have in, in very traditional approaches that we're working from knowledge about when really we should be, it's Gibson calls it knowledge of, knowledge in the environment. And it's players' knowledge in the game we need to develop, not their knowledge about. Yes. And the difference is there. Yes, and there's a much different vantage point as well. Things that may seem obvious to an outside observer are very different than what is obvious to the person in the arena. Um, So I I think that is an absolutely critical piece that you just mentioned there. Um, And I I love the piece that Vlad talked about was coaches milling about and asking questions and giving guiding points and giving that affordance to explore and finding – what within the game is the key yeah. that we need to, to really hone in on. And what's key with Vladson is that the guiding is about shaping the player's intentions to information in the game. And that's very important for a coach. If you're giving some sort of an instruction even to a player, is that instruction shaping the player's intention to information in the game? Or is are you just telling me, just do this? Because that's pointless. Because... Yeah, and there are many ways how how you can do it. For example, like in in my experience now that that I'm working at the university level as a coach developer, that we have guys from uh, coming uh, to study here with uh, numerous 
cultural backgrounds, say like from Central Europe, from 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 Slo Slovakia, or we have a few North American students, and and of course vast vast majority are are Finns. And I could I could say that there are hundreds of ways for for a coach as well how to achieve this, and that that is also as a culture uh, shaped by your culture. And one very vivid example that I've experienced this past Christmas was that as uh, you know as I spend the majority of my time working in Finland but still my family is in is in Russia I get to see two different schools of thought so to say looking at, at, at how to develop players and for example from what separates the the Finnish school of thought is that the the amount of uh, you know uh, small area games that are played over here never nevertheless in 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 Russia uh, very big amount of time is dedicated to one-on-ones so so how do I uh, how do I learn how to solve a problem playing against Craig on a straight attack or out of the corner and and it just goes on and on and on and if you if if we think about it there uh, there are more or less you know uh, similar things what we're after that that we are learning how to read and react nevertheless you know through the hundreds and uh, hundreds of hours of repetitions of playing one-on-one, -on -one, you know, uh, that's how I learned how to go through someone and then look for, for passing options. But then at the same time, in the, when I play the game, uh, for example, two-on-two, -two, then, then I have a friend that I could, you know, uh, play with. I, I still learn the similar, um, yeah. sim similar skills of, of how do I, you know, uh, navigate through the opponents into the net to score a goal, but with a little bit different phil philosophical twist. I think what's important there when you're even speaking about the one-on-ones, Vlad, is that is how you work on them from different, there's different constraints as in a player coming from yeah. the side, a player coming from behind, a player, you you change the one and you change the design of the one-on-one. -on -one. And this goes back to another great uh, Russian, uh, Nikolai Bernstein, who, 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 in the 1930s, and I'm convinced Tarasov read his work, um, in the 1930s came up with this idea of repetition without repetition, repetition yeah. with variation, that when Vlad says thousands of repetitions, he doesn't mean this, that, 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 that. He means it's repetition without repetition. It's repetitions of variation. Repetition of solving the problem, not, yes. not, yeah. not uh, repetition of uh, movement solution. Yes. It's not yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. And then that's the big difference, right? Is, is, are we prescribing solutions or are we subscribing a process and putting them in the environments? I, I love that. That's, that's awesome. And, and Vlad, you just mentioned like both schools of thought, you're learning the same thing and you're still acquiring skills. Is one better than the other? Um, I mean, like what, what would, if in your mind right now that you've seen both worlds, you know, what Shut is, up. What is the better process of skill acquisition? Uh, can't say which one is better. Those so, something what I can say is that those are different. Nevertheless, you can see the the good players coming out of Finland and good players coming out of Russia, and you know each has own strength. And you know even even when they come uh, from the same country, each of them has a unique skill set that separates them from others. Of course, they have their own cultural flair, for example. But nevertheless. 
you know, like this is just coming back to what we started with from from what Mark said that you know every every player is a product of a unique cultural upbringing, which is you know which is this uh, which is similar to Finland, Sweden, you know you. U.S., Canada, that that there are certain forces that shape how we develop, and whether we like it or not, they are there. And it's our job as coaches to find the best possible ways how we, you know, how we grow the ecosystem of of ice hockey in our daily practices. I need to understand what are the strengths uh, of uh, Russian culture thought and use that. So I, I, I need to, what Mark mentioned uh, earlier, I, I need to discover and exploit it in order to, you know, build <laughs> build better players, so to say. And, and, and same way is, is in Finland. If if I know that, for example, that, that in uh, Finnish school system, that a little bit of uh, chaos in the middle school is acceptable, then it's likely some chaos in the ice rink is also acceptable. And coaches are not seen as, you know, someone that are, uh, I would say, that are incompetent if a practice looks a little bit chaotic. Nevertheless, you know, we're thinking about how uh, Russian school system is structured. There, there is a bit more uh, expectations of things being a bit more organized, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you know within, within the certain exercise, things cannot be chaotic. And, and, and we just talked... Uh, touched on uh, the, the way how the Russian mentality is affected by art. So that's that, that you know, that's uh, the weird mix of the bio, biomechanical and very linear thinking with, uh, uh, with the artistic and nonlinear vision, I would say. I think, uh, Vlad, that we were kind of leaning on it, touching on it there well back, is an important thing is that if there's any coaches listening, and they're they're considering how they're working or looking looking to challenge themselves. And I think I challenge myself and my coaching as much as possible. I think you should consider that the this idea that learning is not the process of repeating a solution; it is repeating the process of finding a solution. Learning is not the process of repeating a solution; it is repeating the process of finding a solution. And if you can think about that when you're designing practice tasks and working with players. It'll really challenge you and challenge how you work. Indeed, Mark. And and one uh, one other aspect, what I want to like h- highlight from one of your previous works was it's not just design; it's co-design. That yes. that that when when we think about the developmental changes that the athletes are going through, say like. I started with under 10s, but now I'm working with under 15s with the guys, you know, for five years. Chances are that if I do exactly the same thing, that maybe some kids are, are, are bored and playing, playing the other sport. So as a practitioner or as a coach, I need to be mindful of what things I need to be integrating into my training design that that would be you know adaptable to the athletes that i have at hand and how they develop across time yes excellent this this was a fantastic conversation uh not sure i wanted to really end but we are coming up a little bit on time here um maybe some uh open air i will i will give some affordance you use what we've been talking about for uh you gentlemen to speak on whatever you think is uh, important, what's on your mind, uh, or even 
you know, where can people find you? Um, God, it's too much in my mind. Um, I guess we can be found on Twitter. <laughs> but yeah, if, but anyone, if anyone wants to drop me an email, it's Mark, and that's Mark with a K, M-A-R-K dot K-S-S at gmail.com. And I'm on Twitter and I need to look at it. <laughs> um, Here's a lesson. Uh, give affordances, but not too broad. There, 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 there's another lesson for us, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> at at M-A-R-K-S-T-K-H-L-M. Yeah, that's my Twitter handle. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a cool conversation. It's, 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 I mean, it's really good for me because I don't play ice hockey. I've never played ice hockey. I'm from Ireland. <laughs> um, and it's, it's been a fascinating journey that um, Vlad has dragged me into. So it's, re- it's really cool. And, but then the principles I work with in football and the principles I work with in other sports, they translate into, into ice hockey, the ideas of exploiting gaps in space, ball, uh, puck, or whatever you want to call it, opponent, direction, consequence, representative information. All these things are very much also in ice hockey and it's wonderful to 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 uh to see the game through through the through through a similar lens like i see football and me and vlad we talk a lot about these things and the commonalities and i guess in some way we're embracing our inner tarasov by he's utilizing some football stuff and i'm utilizing some some uh ice hockey ideas channeling our inner tarasov (laughs) mark i i really like the term we should you know Really put it as a, as, a, as a trademark, maybe. Nevertheless, you, you know, like just uh, I, I want to end with what we started that, uh, that you know, that as coaches, we're, we should always be thinking about how to innovate our ways, how we do things. And that's what Tarasov has been doing. And Lou Viral uh, mentioned earlier on your podcast that Tarasov told him that uh, copy is always second best. So we should we should never copy, but rather think about the ways how a particular uh, drill or a certain certain coaching point how how would it be uh, useful in our particular environment? How can we adapt it that it, it is functional with uh, with with what we do? So uh, copy is the second best, and 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 we should uh, em- embrace our our in innovation and creative thinking in our in our daily daily work that's that's where I, I think would be a good point to stop here awesome thank you so much vlad thank you so much mark for coming on thank you very much for having us thanks greg that concludes this week's episode thanks for joining us here at hockey iq If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.